Hey there, Pounders. This is J.R. Wilco with today's Unnecessary Foolishness. It's episode 50 of the Superfluous Poppycock Podcast. I've got Charlie O'Charles here with me, and we're going to be discussing the San Antonio Spurs' five biggest problems this season. Charlie, how you doing? I'm great, JR. How are you? I'm doing great. I would be greater if we were talking about something else. I mean, here it's <laughs> Christmas week. Here it's episode 50. We could be talking about David Robinson. But no, we need to talk about at least it's five related. It's got a five in there. Get me mm. get us started here. What you've got these ranked, right? What do you think are the the Spurs' five biggest problems this season? So again, this season, thinking about you know this year uh, and not you know sort of all of the problems that some of the things that are going on will cause over the next few years. But just looking at this season, I think the biggest issue is that Lamarcus just can't play the four anymore. Um, you know, the percentage of time he spent at the four has been steadily dwindling. Um, sixteen seventeen his first year in San Antonio was sixty nine percent. It's all the way down to nine percent this year, and mm. the team has not been good in those minutes. They had a defensive rating of one fifteen point two when Lamarcus plays the four, and that, that's not really all his fault. Uh, you know, some other poor defenders like Brandon and Demar have been on the floor for most of those minutes, but that's not really a, a tenable um, defensive performance in the long term. And uh, one of the key issues there is if Lamarcus can't play the four, he's spending all his minutes at the five, which means Jacob uh, Pertle, who's been fantastic this year. Um, can't get more minutes. Uh, if LaMarcus is going to be playing 30, 32, 34 minutes, that means Jacob's only playing you know, 16 or so, uh, which you just isn't enough. Yeah, you could platoon those guys, but the but the more minutes LaMarcus plays and the fact that he can't play the four, Yaka plays better four right now than, than, <laughs> than LaMarcus is, right? I mean, oh, yeah, he we, was, we were... We we're joking about yeah. Uh, like, yeah, you know, what you see? What you see on Saturday from from Pirtle? So we have something we were joking about earlier is uh, you put Lamarcus on somebody out on the perimeter and he's you know ten feet back, <laughs> relying on his length to to challenge any shot and try to keep uh, the player from driving. And that's good, you know, given his limitations. But Jacob got switched on to Lou Williams at the top of the key, which seemed like an automatic bucket, and instead Jacob blocks the step back three. Um, leads to a run out and that kind of you know agility dexterity on the perimeter is incredibly valuable and that's not to mention the ability to protect the rim that he brings um, he has been uh, just really really impressive especially in this most recent run of 10 or 15 games um, but he can't get on the floor because Lamarcus is, is eating up those minutes yeah th- there were on Saturday there were two people in the gym that, that maybe two people who were watching it at all that thought that that Pirtle had a chance at that shot. It it, it was Jakob Pirtle and his mom, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, moms always always believe the best in you. He's like, you go That's for right. it, honey, and, and and he did, and he blocked it, and like you said, got started to run out. Of, I think the Spurs got an easy bucket out of that. And 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 he, you talk about Pirtle's ability to protect the rim. He's been Gobert esque. This season and in, in the way that offenses avoid going at him because of how well he challenges and how many shots he blocks. Now, give LaMarcus Aldridge credit for actually getting his hands on some on some shots. He's blocking shots, but he's not deterring offenses from going at him. In fact, it seems like almost like the exact opposite this season. You want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um 
Lamarcus still gets a lot of blocks because he's still a very good player. He's he's very coordinated and he knows what to do. Um, he's got great uh, quick hands, long arms, um, so he's able to get to a lot of shots. But that's mostly because there's a lot of players taking shots on him at the rim. Um, smaller perimeter players are not afraid of attacking him like one on one with no issues. Um, and, and he's getting to some shots. He's gotten very good at uh, the old Tim Duncan special, uh, blocking the shot below the shoulders. Uh, and, and again, he's got great reach. I think his standing reach is something like nine feet. He can really get to a lot of balls. But again, mostly that's because players are coming straight at him uh, right at the rim. Uh, I think the Spurs are giving up something like uh, 70% field goal accuracy at the rim with LaMarcus on the floor, uh, which is terrible. Um, Jacob has been much, much better, so much so that, uh, the players don't attack him at the rim. Right. Um, and he's even coming in from from the weak side and, and blocking shots he has no business getting to, um, getting the shots out on the floor like that Lou Williams three that, um, that changed sort of the tenor of the defense. It, it's a huge, uh, hugely important thing for the Spurs because their defense otherwise has been pretty poor all season long uh, and that he can't get on the floor uh, because of LaMarcus's limitations is a real problem. Yeah, you, you get a... You get a block or two from a guy like Pirtle, especially uh, on on the outside, especially of a three, especially a guy like Lou Williams, yeah. and can change the entire mindset of both teams. And when you when you consider the fact that that Pirtle isn't being attacked as often because of his prowess, because of how how likely he is to block someone and that he's still getting the crazy kind of block numbers that he is his blocks per minute have to be insane. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it really does recontextualize the fact that he and Aldridge would sometimes end with two or three or four blocks together in the same game. I think in Brooklyn against Brooklyn, it was four blocks for LaMarcus and three for Pirtle. And yet the player that actually changed the, the game being in there protecting the the basket protecting the rim well it, it wasn't lamarcus so all right so we got our first we got our first issue out of the way we talked about the the spurs number one problem marcus can't four anymore and and he's really not protected the rim very well at all what what's your second what's your what's number two for you Oh, it really is tied into number one with lamarcus unable to spend any real significant time at the power forward position the rotation there is is really Trey Lyles, Rudy Gay, um, and one would hope Damari Carroll, although he really hasn't gotten uh, enough playing time to even figure out what he's bringing to the table yet. Uh, Trey is probably their best option right now, um, which is not a good thing to say out loud. Um, he's understands the offense. He's uh, pretty adept at putting the ball on the floor, but he's always just a half a beat late. His pump fakes just a half feet too long. His drives don't quite get to where they need to get to. Uh, he's a good passer and he finished decently, but he really, you know, optimally is probably a, a backup for um, for a for a good team. Uh, Rudy uh, was a much better player than Trey is now last year, uh, but he has definitely lost a step. It just can't quite bring it on either end of the court the way he could just you know ten months ago. Um, he's frequently you know, half beat late on his weak side help and um, he'll overcommit early to try to make up for that. And then he ends up giving up open corner threes, which has been the bane of the team's existence uh, recently. Um, it just is not good. And whether it's uh, you know the decline due to age or he's maybe nursing an injury or there's some other issue, uh, 
Uh, he is nowhere near the player he was last season. And then again, just talked about Demar Carroll. Uh, can't even get playing time. So um, while it's easy to look at how he played last season and think he'd be a better option, um, they're seeing something um, in practice and shoot arounds that that makes them believe that he's not uh, able to even contribute at that level. Right. So we got a power forward rotation that is a weak link, which is exacerbated by the problem that we have with LaMarcus who can't forward anymore. And so now you've got these two that this really seems like foundational issues. These things aren't going to be able to be fixed by the team as it's currently constructed. That's, that's a big serious issues. I I love Lyles. I, I loved him in the, in, as, as a starter, as he, as he continued to, to come along the season when he started taking threes was the, was the time when I started realizing, all right, this might be a, a, a good thing for the team. But like you said, he's, he's not putting up any kinds of numbers. He's not, his performance isn't starting quality NBA power forward. And the, and the team is, is exceptionally weak at that area right now with, with the way that, they were unable to to continue or to sign the guy that they wanted and yeah. and 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 Morris and then of course having to to cut Davis Bertans in order to to make that potential move is is really kind of left them in the lurch here and I mean you're you're dealing with the way that the you're dealing with the system that exists in the NBA where teams can can be stabbed and back by players without any recourse at all. And it kind of seems like a, an, an NBA escrow account <laughs> for, for those kinds of situations should be at least considered because the, this is a thing that happens every two or three or four seasons. And uh, like, the, like the Spurs are definitely hurting at the power forward as a result. So that's, that's number two. What, what have you got for the, the third biggest problem that the Spurs are facing this season? So this is something that you and I talked about not too long ago, uh, and though it has been a much better, um, uh, much less of an issue over the last couple of weeks, it's still a problem. We're talking about DeMar's defense. Oh, um, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to spend 10 minutes talking about his defense. I think we've covered it in detail. Um, again, he's been, I think, much better over the last 10 games or so, um, bringing consistent effort. But even you know when he's fully locked in, he is a, an okay defender. He, he's uh, still uh, you know, vulnerable to you know hard off-ball movements and cuts and screens and um, quicker defenders can blow by him. But when he's locked in, he brings enough in terms of you know, making plays, steals, getting contested rebounds to to be average. Uh, when he's not locked in, though, um, as he was there for a good stretch um, and sort of the middle third of the season so far, um, he was terrible and he was costing the team games. Yeah, I we we've talked about this a significant amount. You and I specifically, it's been a conversation on the site and surrounding the site on the Twitter feed and in the comments. He he has improved from his early season in and his early season performance to the point where at this point I, I would I would say he probably gets one of, of those of those D's, right? He could be Amar DeRozan or Damar Erosen, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but honestly, that's 
that's as much time as I really want to take on this particular topic because it, it just it makes me sad. Yeah. Okay, tell me, tell me. We're, we've we've talked about three different foundational issues here. Uh, tell me, we're moving. Tell me we're moving into better territory. Tell me, tell, tell me that number four or maybe number five at least could be something that we that, that is fixable. Well, you actually you nailed it. Um, I, I think those first three are fundamental. Uh, they're problems that can't be fixed without um, you know a trade or maybe uh, some kind of off season uh, movement in terms of who's on the roster. But these next two issues, to me, are fixable. They're, they have parts on hand um, that can make the team better. Um, and so the number four, the next one, is Dante and Derek. Um, um, I do not, do not understand why those two aren't playing together every night. Yeah. Um, maybe their, their skin tones clash. Uh, maybe the, Maybe the the number of weird hairdos that pop wants to allow on the floor at, at any particular moment is, is one. Uh, Derek's Derek's hair and Jante's hair and Lonnie's hair. He can only have one of those hairdos on the court at a time. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like it's going the opposite direction. I would prefer to have uh, as many um, unique or interesting um, dues as possible. Well, then you, you're you're saying you want Demar Carroll out there with Lonnie and DJ and run them out and there. White. <laughs> who's going to be the five? Who's uh, of the rest of the guys? Who's got the weirdest hair? Uh, I know. Honestly, all our fives are are pretty uh pretty generic in terms of hair. Uh, yeah, we can get that to... that on Jacob. Okay. Mm. Yeah, that's man. I have been wanting to see these guys play ball together since the off season. And we knew it was probably a situation where they wouldn't log a ton of time together because neither of them really stretches the floor. But Derek's been, Derek's been hitting his threes, not a ton of attempts, but he's been hitting them at a, at a respectable clip. Definitely a clip that would be argued. You could, you could make the argument that it's, that would encourage him to, to, to shoot more frequently and and explore that territory of uh, additional shots a game to see if he'd be able to maintain the percentage that he's put up in just a couple and and that would make this pairing a little bit more palatable as far as stretching the floor as far as spacing is concerned and yet it still doesn't happen those those two just can't get on the floor together and and I'm and I'm I'm curious I'm just very curious cuz if you want to take anything that Pop says, having any worth at all, when he talks to someone like Bill Land, like he did uh, earlier, earlier, just the last few days, and 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 Bill asked him about those two. Pop said he wanted to play the two of those together, and then you've got him not playing them together. I mean, there's what Pop says he wants to do and what he actually does, and when those are in conflict, then. What can you do except just like give no credence at all to the lip service he's paying to this very tenable, very potentially season-changing lineup choice of letting two of your best wings play together? Yeah, I'd say at this point, it's willful. Uh, that there's no there's no accident to the fact that they're not playing together. There's no minutes restriction we can blame at this point. 
it is it is on purpose. And I, I sort of understand the spacing concerns. Derek is shooting well from three, and I think he could do so on a much higher volume, but he hasn't yet. Um, DeJounte obviously isn't a great three-point shooter, though he's, he's willing to let him fly. But you don't have to play them in the starting lineup with DeMar and LaMarcus. You could play them with a bench unit, put Patty and Trey on the floor with them or, or Rudy or, or whomever you think gives you the best shooting option at the four, and then put them with Jacob because he can get space for anybody. Um, and just give it a few minutes a night and see how it goes. You talk about, about Jacob earlier, how well he's been playing and what he brings to the team. It, you know, <laughs> how many minutes DeJounte, Derek, and, and Jacob have played together so far? I've, I don't know. It can't be much. One. One minute. <laughs> I think those are probably the, I don't know, at least three of the top six players, third, fourth, and sixth, I think, if I if I did my little list out. Um, and they have played one minute together. It's just not a good recipe for playing winning basketball. This was the, the issue that the Spurs had in 2010, 2011, when they – when their best five players couldn't share the court together because yeah. George Hill was one of them. Mm-hmm. And that, that is the, the situation that forced them to, to trade. Pop said it was his favorite player and that turned into the Kawhi Leonard draft. And we know what happened to the, the team after that couple, couple, three years, they were winning the NBA championship. So I, I'm not saying that they're necessarily that close now, but they're definitely in that same situation where they can't play their best guys together. Wait, hold on. We don't know if they can't play their best guys together <laughs> because we don't have enough situation. numbers on them to be able to say those guys are unplayable. We just don't see them on the court together. And so we don't get to find out if they're actually playable together because it hasn't been tried. So we're going to take a quick break. When we when we come back from our sponsor break, we're going to talk about pop and plus minus and the word fraud. All right, thanks for sticking with us. This is J.R. Wilco. I've got Charlie O'Charles here with me. This is episode 50 of the Superfluous Poppycock podcast. And leading up to Saturday's game, Bruno Passos and I were exchanging texts about what his question would be that he'd ask Pop pregame. And we're trying to get the wording of it just right. You know, a significant amount of thought goes into this, or a non-zero amount of thought goes into this, I, I should say. And and Bruno asked, asked Pop about net rating, and Pop essentially came back with plus minus. And, and really, Bruno's question was a larger context of you know, over the course of a season or as the numbers start piling up, do you start looking at this particular stat to see if it's helpful in allowing you to 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 coach the team or to establish rotations? And Pop just, just I mean, he just, well, Charlie, he just talked about plus minus mm-hmm. on a game-by-game basis, right? Yeah. And so, the Twitter just kind of sounded off. They, they talked about it during the, the broadcast as well. Uh, of course, Sean and Bill just, you know, backed back the best version of that of that case uh, to the hilt, as as you'd expect them to. But there's there's a, a larger conversation uh, about this to be had. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If, if you take Pop's comments at face value, he's right. Um, single game plus minus, which I, I think they added to the stat sheet, you know, a year or two ago. Um, really isn't that useful in terms of assessing a player's performance. It can be uh, interesting to, you know, 
see a player who shot really well or put up a bunch of stats and have a negative plus minus, you go, oh, hey, maybe there's something there to, to look into and go watch the film uh, and maybe find something about, you know, uh, how they're rotating or, or how the defense worked or, or maybe another player on the floor um, was having a bad game or maybe the other team just got hot and knocked down five threes in three minutes and there's nothing, you know, that particular player had to do with it. Um, but, you know, aside from giving you something to go watch film to see, uh, single game plus minus is essentially useless. And and a lot of the smartest NBA analytical people out there, you know, backed Coach Pop's statement. But uh, that is ignoring the actual context of the question, which was not about single game plus minus. It was about, um, you know, the cumulative knowledge of players' performance in games over the course of a season and sort of at what point do you give that enough credibility to make changes to how you do business? And and he chose not to answer that part of the question. Um, and well, that's, that's actually, classic pop. <laughs> it is. Uh, what did you say? He answers the question he wishes you had asked? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it happens, right? He either will straight up not answer or he'll change the subject or he'll, you know, he'll make make a joke and then just walk away, walk away from the opportunity to talk and look he hates the mere thought i believe he hates the thought of saying something in an interview and letting it turn into wisdom for another team mm. I, I i get that uh, but as far as in a in a season like this when there are serious head scratchers about the season being able to understand what's going on as a fan that that's that's what a fan wants. A fan wants to know that there's a reason behind the losing. And right now, there are so many questions that I have. I think so many questions that that Spurs fandom has at this point surrounding not not the reason why they're losing, but how they're losing, why they're losing, and why some other things aren't being tried. He doesn't owe us an explanation. Right. But an explanation would be nice, <laughs> right? Which brings us back to to Dejounte and Derek, and and for, you know for for greater point Lonnie with the way that he's been playing, not not seeing the floor together, and and for Walker, he he didn't even get into the game until it was essentially over halfway through the third quarter, down twenty some odd points, is the first time Walker saw any minutes at all. I was just about to tweet uh, whether. Pop had forgotten he was on the team because he had played so well in his last several games, even with low scoring numbers, the team was different with him on the court. Mm -hmm. And, and it's difficult to watch the team play poorly and lose while seeing the team play well and have good numbers when certain players play and then have those players play not at all while the game is in doubt. And, and that is, that's what's turning this season as much into a, a head scratcher as, as anything else. So that's, that's number four. That's number but, four. You know, on that, before we move on, I, yeah. Something that coach pop had talked about a lot is that he enters each season uh, with the intent. The goal is to be the best possible team they can be by the time the playoffs roll around. They don't set out to win a certain number of games or to play a certain style. They just want to be you know, the best version of themselves 82 games later. 
and I, I, I like that. I, I like the idea of treating the Love season it. as a you know extended preparation for the the part of the year that really matters. I cannot figure out how what has been happening over the first um, you know two months of the season is working to get them towards being the best version of themselves four months from now. I, I just it doesn't make sense to me, especially when we talk about Dejounte, Derek, and Lonnie, who as we watch the games, don't just appear to be crucial parts of the team's future. They seem to be crucial parts of the team's present, and mm. yet they aren't getting minutes. When you watch Lonnie on offense, when the, the offense is flowing, you know, early offense, transition offense, he, he attacks, he's fluid, um, he makes good, solid moves and good, solid reads. When another player penetrates the defense, kicks it out to him, he's gen- generally the same. Um, but when they're running a play, a set play, other players are pointing him where to stand on the floor and where to move. And it's almost every time um, he has not learned the offense to that point yet, where he can just execute uh, on demand. Uh, that's a problem, but you know, there's not a lot of practice time during the season. And I don't know when he's going to get that, get the reps he needs to get that if they don't put him on the court. Um, and so then I don't understand how we're getting Lonnie closer to being, uh, you know, a 20, 25, you know, one would hope someday 30 minute player, a 30 minute a game player um, without getting him on the court. Man, you've, you'll get no argument from me on that. It's it's a frustration. We love the team. We love pop. We want to see mm-hmm. the team win. I, I don't see how just pursuing a playoff position this season does anything but line you up for a first round butt kicking. Right. Uh, yeah, and then that's. That's where you receive the butt kick, neck where you actually deliver the butt kick, unless you're delivering it to yourself. Which mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that's number four. Moving on to the Spurs' biggest problem, number five. Hit me. What do you got? So all that Dejounte, Derek, Lonnie, and plus minus talk is a perfect lead into to what I think is the team's fifth biggest issue, and that's the you know the struggles and extended playing time of of Bryn and Marco. I'd, mm. I'd start off by saying that they're not nearly as bad as most, I think, Spurs fans would say they are. Um, they they have struggled with their shots both uh, to begin the season, uh, although Marco appears to have been um, sort of turning that around with you know the last few weeks, maybe even yeah, months. He's been he's been a little bit better recently. Absolutely. Um, every time I think Prince turning a corner, uh, he has another over game. Uh, so I don't mm. know quite what's going on with his shooting. Um, but yeah. In, I'm, I think I'm beyond expecting it to turn around at at this mm-hmm. point. There are some times, there's some seasons where good shooters just don't shoot well, and expecting them to is is kind of a fool's errand. Absolutely, but even with you know his struggles, teams are still paying him a lot of respect on the perimeter. The Clippers, especially on Saturday, really got into his body and chased him oh, on yeah. the perimeter, um, and and they were just comfortable with him putting it on the floor and getting in into the paint. Um, and, and that's, you know, fair, essentially, uh, Brent has improved a lot at uh, his floor game, but he's still not dangerous at an NBA level. They were more than happy to have him, uh, try to hit a off balance floater or, or try to kick it out. He has um, not developed a lot of drive and kick game. Um, you know, he's pretty good at some, you know, nifty interior passing to bigs from time to time, but the Clippers are staying at home on the bigs and staying at home on shooters, uh, on the perimeter. So, there wasn't a lot of room for him to do business. And that essentially uh, makes him a bad player because he is not good at defense. Now, I talk a lot about positional defense 
which I don't know that that makes a lot of sense to some folks because Bryn and Marco are largely where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there on defense. They generally make the right rotations. They do the right help. Um, they're in the right position. It just doesn't matter because um, <laughs> Marco's not quick enough to stay with whoever he's guarding uh, and can't get off the floor far enough to contest the shot. Uh, and and Bryn's the same way. There was, a I think, the second offensive possession of the game against the Clippers. The Spurs played uh, you know, 18 seconds of really good defense. There was a double team, and they rotated out of the double team, and uh, Paul George came off a stagger screen on the weak side, and they covered that. And then they swung the ball to Kawhi Leonard, who had Bryn Ford, and he just took two dribbles in and pulled up for a jumper over him and drilled it. And there is nothing Bryn could do about that. Um, That's the Bryn Ford experience on defense. And it's almost to the point now where Bryn Forbes is, has enough playing time in the NBA to be recognized as having a single NBA quality skill and Mm -hmm. maybe even beyond NBA quality that the way that he shot the ball from distance in 2017, 2018, showed that at his best he's he's capable of of shooting the ball at beyond the nba level and what i mean is like he's going to be well above average but that's his only skill that he's like that in and and if he's that i can see uh, i mean he he wears a uniform fairly well but i mean like uh, you know exactly how much uh competency does that does that take right he If shooting is his only NBA level skill and he's not shooting at anything besides NBA average and all of his other skills are below average, he's a below average player mm-hmm. and, and below average players usually don't start for NBA teams. They definitely don't start for NBA contenders. So there we go. We've got five of the biggest problems facing the Spurs this season. Tell me what kind of unnecessary foolishness what kind of superfluous poppycock do you have for us to close this episode with charlie well i say uh, despite the blowout on saturday there was one thing that uh, really made my day uh the first thing i saw i didn't watch the game live i tuned in later and as i was sort of clicking through to try to find the start of the game and the recording uh the first thing i saw was uh coach pop and coach hammond's uh, coordinated christmas outfits <laughs> which i just really enjoy man the, the I could say so much about this, but I, I will limit myself, right? For for the sake of time, I will say Pop's sweater, that mock turtleneck was far too red to wear. That was that was just I mean, like I'm just it it coordinated, right? It complemented uh, <laughs> Becky's very sensible, very sensibly green shirt, sweater, top, whatever, whatever it was. I, I just saw the color, I didn't see what, what it was made out of. It, they worked together in a in a red and green fashion, but that red was so incredibly bright. It was it was uh, it was too bright to, for me to look at. It was aggressive. Uh, it was aggressively bright, very an aggressively bright red sweater that was also a mock turtleneck. So again, like questionable on so many fronts, but absolutely fitting within the the standard motif, the theme that we have going of ugly. Uh, Christmas sweaters that was dead on five out of five. My my unnecessary foolishness uh, is is got to be the Spurs uh, 
re- continued refusal to foul when up by three points. Uh, it it hit them hit them twice in the last six games. Up three, won't foul. Team gets free and hits a three to send it into overtime. And 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 not and not just that, but uh, it hit them also in the Rockets game because the Spurs are trying to to claw their way back into the into into that game, and and the Rockets did an excellent job of fouling them when they were inside the arc and fouling them when they were outside the arc, but with no chance to shoot right. a three and get three free throws. Very well executed, showing that it can be executed at the NBA level, even with defenders like James Harden. <sighs> One of these days, I'm going to see the Spurs foul up three successfully and win a game, and I'm going to, uh, I don't know, dance a jig, something. I'll do something. That'll do it for episode 50 of Superfluous Poppycock. You pounders, keep safe, and until next time, keep letting it fly. Keep letting it fly.